Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson will join to explain her decision to move branch offices to appointment-only customer service. Pretty controversial change to what we've been used to in this state for years. And then we're going to talk about how highways have carved up many American cities, including Detroit, and a new effort to lead a rethink that could remove some of those roads. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm glad you've chosen to join us. So you might have noticed some pretty big changes recently at Michigan Secretary of State branch offices. The days of walking in, getting your number, and waiting hours and hours in some cases for your turn are over, at least for now. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson has decided that branch offices will now be appointment only, at least for the vast majority of customers. Now, Republicans in Lansing are pretty angry about all this. They're saying people are now waiting weeks or months before they can sign up for one of these appointments. The GOP is trying to pressure Benson to end this appointment system. And in response, the Secretary of State says she's adding 350,000 appointment slots. Uh, Those offices are freeing up those slots by reducing the expected appointment times by half, from 20 minutes to 10 minutes. Here to talk about what is going on with branch offices and the way that we interact with the Secretary of State in Michigan is Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. Jocelyn, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Okay, so let's first talk about uh, why you feel it's necessary to go to an an appointment-only system. And I guess also I'm curious as to why you think that might serve Michiganders better. Well, uh, thanks for having me back. And I think what we're trying to do is is recognize that the, the past model of doing things where you simply come in and take a number and wait, wait uh, sometimes for hours uh, to be served really wasn't working. I mean, staff who've worked at the department for decades actually recommended a lot of these changes to make our services more convenient for the people of Michigan. Uh, one of the biggest things we did was steadily enable more people to be able to do their business with the state without having to go to a branch office to make more services available from home or grocery stores and make office visits when required quick and efficient. And the way we do that on the latter part is um, by simply just asking people to let us know ahead of time when they're planning to come. And by doing that, we'll be able to be prepared to ensure they can be seen right away and they'll be able to be prepared with all the documents they need. Now, a lot of these changes have been challenging to implement in this moment because the legislature has made past decisions not just to cut our budget to um, ultimately require over the past several decades 
50% of offices to be closed and 46% of our of our staff to, to be laid off. This has happened over the course of the past several decades. But also uh, refused to, um, you know, respond to our request to, uh, among other things, invest in our offices now to enable us to be open later, to hire more staff, to work through the backlog created by the pandemic. Uh, but the bottom line is, we found this model to be much more efficient. And this week, we're also phasing in greeters. Those greeters will be in place in dozens of offices, including every office throughout Southeast Michigan, and that enables people to walk up to be seen by someone, and that person will either assist them with being seen right away if there's a slot available or scheduling a time to return at a time that's convenient for them so they can be seen right away at that point. Hmm. So so what do you say, though, to uh, people who are just having a really hard time getting these appointments? I, I hear stories about people waiting weeks. Some of them say they're mm-hmm. waiting months uh, to, to try to get in. That that seems worse than going to the branch. And I, I mean, I'm the first person to say it was annoying before mm-hmm. have to sit there for, you know, sometimes half the day waiting for your appointment. But it's that's that's actually better, I think, than waiting two months to get, uh, you know, uh, to, to get your driver's license renewed or, or, or something Sure, like that. yeah. A couple of things. One, in the vast majority of cases, citizens don't need to wait at all to get their driver's license renewed. We can do that online now, right? Or yeah. at a self-service station right. at Meyer or Kroger all around uh, the city as well as vehicle plates. Now, that change just happened over the past few months uh, as we've upgraded our services to enable that. Uh, another change that has just happened that will be in place July 1st is that you now only need to go to an office every 12 years to get a photo update for your license as opposed to every eight. So the vast majority, if not all, uh, over the next uh, several years, all of our residents won't need to go to a branch office at all to renew their license. The biggest issue is title transfers when people uh, need to buy a new car and, and, and transfer their title. That's actually most of our branch transactions and also first-time appointments, or I'm sorry, first-time IDs for drivers uh, and for new drivers in particular, people just moving to the state. So we're working to find ways to prioritize those two uh, um, uh, ways in which you need to interact with the office. And what we're facing right now in this moment that makes it more difficult is a backlog that was created by past legislative changes to extend license and vehicle plate renewals to all expire at the same time. Mm. What that does is create a significant backlog, coincidentally, in our busiest month, which is June, uh, and that makes it really difficult whether you're trying to access uh, the the branch through whether it's a walk-in or an appointment. It makes it really difficult to access the offices. Uh, And so we're working and considering ways to add evening and weekend hours right now, and we've asked the legislature for the use of COVID funds to support their constituents and enabling us to do that, and also hiring more staff during this time to work through this backlog that was created by their extensions. That's that's the way that they can be most helpful to us at this point uh, as we work to uh, continue to move forward in how we develop services my vision and my hope is that we can, we've got a plan to get there, is that we can get to a point where anytime someone wants to go to a branch office, they can go online to schedule their visit ahead of time. They can call the 188 number to schedule their visit, or they can go to a branch office. If they go to a branch office and walk up to a branch office, they'll be greeted. And these are the greeters we've got in place now, and they'll either be able to be seen right away uh, if there's a spot available or schedule a time at their convenience to return whenever they can over the next few days, in the next week. 
and then they'll be able to have their business done at the state at that time. And the last thing I'll mention is that every day at 8 a.m. and noon, every weekday, we release more appointments uh, through the phone and through to our greeters and to our online services. So we want to get to a point where uh, people can essentially, quote, unquote, walk in to an office at a time that's convenient for them, and they'll be seen right away. And the best way we can get there is by creating a system where people let us know in advance when they plan to show up, and that enables us to be prepared to see them right away. Mm. Uh, Why hire greeters instead of hiring more people who can actually provide services? Well, one of what, well, first of all, we'd love to hire more people to provide services. We need the funding from the legislature and able to, to do that. What's happening with that, what actually the, these, these positions are, are created by the fact that um, we had many people throughout the pandemic greeting people at the front door to check their appointments. Anyone who's visited the office during the pandemic has probably seen that. What those individuals were, were trained people who could actually serve behind the counter. So we're putting them back behind the counter uh, right now to create more um, appointments uh, available as well uh, and enable them to serve more people. And then creating a, a, a new position for uh, a greeter that's um, sort of a different classification of a worker that can enable us to more easily hire people to just do that job as opposed to the full training to be a clerk. And that enables us to also ensure that someone is there to greet someone when they arrive and help them either make an appointment right there, be seen right away, or if they don't need to go to a branch office, they can be directed to a self-service station and get their transaction done right away that way. Mm. I'm talking with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, uh, and we're talking about big changes at branch offices, uh, getting rid of the walk-in service that so many of us have uh, come to identify with the Michigan Secretary of State. You walk in, get your number, and wait your turn. Sometimes uh, that goes quickly, too many times in the past, for me at least. Uh, It was a a very time-consuming uh, exercise. Uh, uh, Benson now wants to make most of the things that you would have to go into the Secretary of State for uh, available by appointment only. Uh, there's a lot of folks who don't love that idea, who feel like that will make it even harder to get things done, and they, they will have longer waits, weeks or months, before they can uh, before they can get in. We'd love to know what you you think about uh, about these changes. Call in and tell us about your recent experiences at the Secretary of State branch offices. Uh, are you using this appointment system? How did it go? Um, uh, was it better or worse or maybe about the same compared to the past visits that you've had to uh, the Secretary of State? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation uh, Jocelyn, before we get to, to listeners, I, I want to get a sense from you of what a reasonable time is for someone to have to wait to, to come into a, a secretary of state office. What's the, what's the goal in your mind? Uh, if I call to make an appointment or go online to make an appointment, how long should I have to wait? Where we're working towards is to have enough appointment slots available for people to to be able to come in later that day or the next day or the following week or any time that's convenient for them. We'd also like to be able to have more funding from the legislature to be able to have our employees work overtime so that they can have evening hours or weekend hours. And those are the types of things we need the legislature to help with. 
But at this moment, with the backlog, we are seeing you know a, a stress on the system with um, so many people needing branch office services at this particular moment. And as we get through this, by adding more slots, in fact, the, the funds we've asked for the legislature would create 500,000 more residents that we could serve. That would enable us to actually have 45,000 appointments available per day. That is more than even in our busiest times in past years, than more than the number of transactions that our offices typically have done. Hmm. So that's kind of how we're approaching this. How, how many people can we serve every day? We want to get to a point where we can have 45,000 transactions statewide every day. That's what our model is working towards. And once we get there, then we'll have more than enough um, times available for people to visit. And really all it then becomes is just let us know ahead of time when you want to come. It could be in an hour. It could be in four hours. It could be tomorrow. Mm. And when you do that, we'll thought you in. You'll have the ability to be seen right away and then be in and out in 20 minutes. That's where we're headed. The problem is right now, again, is this backlog and the cuts in funding that has made it harder to get to that full 45,000 a day appointments. Uh, and we're trying to continue to find ways, as we've recently done, to um, work internally to increase the number of transactions we can handle every day. But I really wish we didn't have to do it alone. And I really wish we could have the legislative support with very clear solutions that we've presented to them that would enable us to more quickly get to that 45,000 per day. Mm. And that enables anyone to have, you know, we'll have more than enough um, times available for people uh, to, um, to access our offices and at, at their convenience without having to wait when they do. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what your experience has been recently or lately with the Michigan Secretary of State with these appointment uh based uh, uh, services that we're, that we're getting instead of the walk-up services, which uh, if you grew up in this state, uh, you are very, very familiar with. Let's, uh, let's start with Zara in Bloomfield Hills. Oh, Zara hung up there before she could get onto the air. Let's uh, go to Harold on the east side of Detroit. Harold, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have a question. I am legally blind and I don't have internet access. Hmm. So what I do? Yeah, right. That's a great, well, two a great question. Go yeah. ahead, Jocelyn. One, if you're able to, you can call 888-SOS-MICH, and over the phone, you can be assisted with whatever transaction you need. In addition to that, you are able to, if you can, go to an office, and you'll be greeted by someone, particularly um, in, the, in the southeast Michigan area. As I mentioned, we're putting greeters at all of the offices to... Um, assist people as they arrive with what their needs are and either schedule a time for you to have your transaction done or um, or enable you to be seen right away. Is that helpful, Harold? Yes, it is. My last question is, last time I went, I did the old system. We waited. I got in an argument with the person at the desk. I'm legally blind. I don't pay for my state ID, mm. and I had to get the supervisor. Mm. That person needed more training. That's really helpful feedback. Thank you. And, and um, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Well, we certainly, you know, one of the things we've done um, is continue to upgrade our services for our uh, citizens with, with different residents with different needs like yours. Uh, and we'll continue to improve how our staff understands the deliverance of those services. And, and what you point out, though, is, is really illustrative of the past model where we had 
staff under stress, overworked, and oftentimes having to work long into the evening to serve everyone uh, and uh, long after the office has been closed. And that oftentimes does create stressful environments where um, people don't receive the, the level of respect and customer service they deserve. And one of the benefits of this new system is that our, res- our staff have been given clear hours so they know exactly when, they are, when they're going to be done. And that makes has made them much more happier in their work, which is very important for delivering good customer service. Hmm. Uh, Harold, uh, really appreciate the call and the questions. Big Neo on Twitter has a question. He says, uh, once every 12 years seems a long time for a photo update. Is there a way to use facial recognition for customers to update a photo online? Or is that too high a risk for identity theft? What about the idea of not yeah. having a new a new licensed photo every 12 years. We all look a little different over time. There's two things that I've asked the legislature for that we need the law to change to enable us to do, but I think are, are no-brainers. One is this issue. Uh, if you can remotely take a photo and mail it in for your passport uh, or to renew your passport, you should be able to do the same for a license. And so we want the legislature to create other ways in which people can upload photos into their system, we, into our system. We've got some time because as of July 1st, uh, we won't have to do any photo, new photo renewals for four years because everyone with an eight-year renewal will extend to 12 years. So that gives us some time to innovate. But I'd like us to move in that direction. And the second thing, uh, it's the sort of related but unrelated, is, is the other big transaction where people have to come into our offices right now, where in other states they don't, is title transfers. In many states, you can do a title transfer online, and that would, if we were able to move in that direction, and I've talked to some legislators about this, that significantly reduces uh, a number of people who have to come into our offices, which, again, enables us to serve more people right away when they need it, when they need that in-person transaction, and moves more people out of the office if they don't have to be there. Uh, So it's really, there are many days where I wish that we had the support and cooperation of the legislature. Uh, to make data-driven decisions and even compromises together. Unfortunately, the toxic environment right now in Lansing just isn't that, and um, and that has also really ultimately held us back from doing everything we'd like to do for the customers and the citizens of the state. Hmm. Uh, again, big, big Neo, thanks for the comments online. Let's go to San- Sandra in Detroit. Sandra, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Well, I simply wanted to call to say that I went into the Secretary of State's office without an appointment because I was going to use the kiosk. Turns out the kiosk could not perform my service. Hmm. The greeter saw me and asked me what the issue was, and I explained. And he said, hold on, we might have be able to work you in. And that's exactly what he did. took like two minutes. I went right up to the desk, and the clerk handled the process that the kiosk couldn't. And then I was out. That worked. <laughs> and there you go. That is what we want every resident to have, that type of experience where you're in and out, um, it's convenient, It's it's um, you're welcomed by the staff, and um, and your problem is solved. So I'm really glad to hear that feedback. That makes me very happy. Thank you. Yeah, Sandra, uh, again, thanks for the call. Let's go to John on the east side quickly before we have to break. John, what's on your mind? Uh, I, I got a comment and a question. Uh, I uh, was up for renewal for my driver's license uh late April, I uh, got all nervous because of the real ID and everything and all the talk. I called up at noon, like they suggested, got an appointment for the very next day, went there. There was a greeter outside the door, negotiated me in there. I waited for one person, uh, 
got out of there. They were wonderful up at Mac Alter, uh, very pleasant. And uh, so the last time I went over to Grand Boulevard across from the Fisher Theater, and there was hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of people. And so, uh, That's a busy brand. totally different yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, I do have a question about Real ID. Can mm-hmm. I kayak over to Pesh Island in Canada with my Real ID? Oh, yes. I I, um, well, I, was, I thought you were going to ask when you needed a real ID because the <laughs> deadline has been extended until spring of 2023. Uh, but uh, your real ID is basically like a federal domestic ID. You still need a enhanced ID, uh, which you would need typically to go to, to Canada or a passport for international travel. Okay. Uh, but I'm glad, very glad you had a good experience under the new model. I think, again, you sort of lay out the difference between going into a, an office and sitting with, you know, waiting for hundreds to be served and uh, or, you know, simply being able to be seen right away uh, with the transaction uh, that you that you had. So just I, I think um, the, the biggest challenge right now in, in, in between the, the callers that we've heard and making sure everyone has that experience is just the number of appointments we have available. Mm-hmm. Truly, if we have an abundance of, of thoughts available, then people can, we do have a, sense, a, a situation then where people can walk up, they'll be greeted, and they'll likely be able to be seen right away or later that day uh, or the next day or you know soon after that. Uh, the only thing that stands in between us and, and that sort of successful, full, robust implementation uh, is a lot of the funding and investment we've asked for from the legislature. And we've mapped out how the that we've got a plan to get to 45,000 um, residents served or slots available every day. Uh, and once we get there, then people can have their pick of times when they go to the office, just as if there was a walk-in system. But when you do go up to an office, you know that you'd be seen right away as opposed to having to wait. Mm. Okay. Uh, Jocelyn Benson, Michigan Secretary of State. Always great to have you here uh, talking with me and with our listeners. Thanks so much for coming by. Thanks, Stephen. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to switch topics and take a look at how American cities could be at a turning point as mid-century highways begin to reach the end of their lifespans. Think of all the highways that carve up the city of Detroit. What would the city be like to live in if we had fewer of them? We're going to talk about that next. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Cities all over the nation are thinking about the future of infrastructure and what that word even means in the context of a modern urban landscape. On this show, we've talked a lot about the history of highways cutting through thriving black communities here in Detroit. We've talked about road diets or efforts aimed at making roadways more pedestrian friendly. And now a bipartisan group in the Senate has reached an agreement on an infrastructure plan. The details have not been hashed out just yet. But as things develop in Washington, it seems like a great time to look at how cities around the nation, including right here in Detroit, are looking to the future as highways erected in the middle of the 20th century are reaching the end of their lifespans. Should we be rebuilding these freeways, or is it time to rethink them? 
or maybe even remove them. That is where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And here to talk with me about this are two people who've been following this topic pretty closely, but from really different angles. Nadia Popovich is a data and graphics reporter on the New York Times Climate Desk. She recently worked on a multimedia story for the Times titled, Can Removing Highways Fix America's Cities? Nadia Popovich, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Also with us is Robin Boyle, a professor of urban planning at Wayne State University and someone we have on pretty frequently here on Detroit Today to talk about cities and in particular, our city and the way we live in it. Robin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Great to join the conversation. Thank you. So, Nadia, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Your piece begins with a look at Rochester. Uh, What's going on there and what about it is representative of larger issues when it comes to the role of mid-century highways in American cities? Yeah, so I started this piece um, because President Biden actually came out with this plan in March where um, the the American Jobs Plan, and as part of this, it was his big infrastructure push. And as part of this plan, uh, there was this section on funding the removal of highways. Um, And there's a couple of different examples, even he gives. But what I really wanted to see is where had this been done recently? Where had they already removed a highway, and what did that really mean for the communities? And Rochester, New York, uh, which is in upstate New York, right near the border with Canada, uh, that city had recently, just a couple of years ago, um, finished removing about a two-thirds mile-long portion of its inner loop highway, which was a very uh, tight little loop around its downtown. And it's really it's really quite stunning today uh, to stand there. You basically have no idea a highway once ran beneath your feet. It really reconnected parts of downtown to the East End neighborhoods that are more residential. Um, And now the city is sort of looking to expand on that uh, success of its removal there with removing more of its inner loop. So there's a northern section that has not yet been removed. But as I learned when I was in Rochester, um, that section is actually much more complicated. Partly it's a much more uh, residential area. Uh, It would reconnect a lower income, mostly black and Hispanic community to downtown, including a much wealthier white neighborhood of downtown. And the residents to the north of the inner loop are, are pretty concerned about what happens to their neighborhood um, once that reconnection takes place? You know, will they be priced out, be gentrified? Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, this connects to the history of highways and what they did to American cities. I mean, it's it's really interesting in 2021 to be talking about the effect that these things might have on communities when the same arguments uh, and debates were were had when these freeways were erected. Yeah, for sure. I mean, highways radically reshaped American cities. Um, I think, you know, now most of us are so used to them that it's uh, maybe hard to remember that. Um, (laughs) But they destroyed dense downtown neighborhoods, many of the kind that are now in high demand. Um, They divided and and uh, many black communities and really increased car dependence as well, um, you know, helping to whisk people away to, to suburbs. That's part of why I started looking at this from a climate perspective as well, both from the equity perspective and the climate perspective, because the, the movement to remove highways really, really plays into both. Mm. Uh, and you report that nearly 30 cities nationwide are discussing some form of 
highway removal. Uh, talk about some of the others that, that stand out in your mind. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, there's this group called the Congress for the New Urbanism. They've been tracking highway removals for many years now. And so they came up with that 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 number. There's about 33 proposed projects in 28 cities. Um, there's uh, Interstate 375 in Detroit is one that mm-hmm. is on that list. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the highway that, that kind of went through the former Black Bottom neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of New York State uh, cities are actually looking at this. Uh, I think it's a lot of cities that have lost population over the past 50 or so years are now really looking at, well, what can we do to our city to maybe bring people back? Uh, so we're seeing it in Syracuse, New York. Interstate 81 actually just got funding from uh, the state government uh, for a removal project. And Buffalo actually has three different highway removal uh, projects under official study by uh, the city or state. And so that's been pretty interesting to me. But these take all sorts of different forms. So, you know, some of them are true removals where they would take the highway out and maybe replace it with a much smaller uh, at-grade street, which basically means it's on street level instead of either sunken or uh, elevated. But others want to keep the highway but bury it. So something like the Boston Big Dig, but on a smaller level, right? So we see a couple of proposals like that in Atlanta, which is, of course, a city known for being bisected by these, these giant highways. Uh, Robin, I want to uh, bring you into the conversation here, and and of course, you and I have actually talked about freeways before, in in Detroit. Uh, let's start though with this idea: uh, th- removing I three seventy five is something that that is on the agenda, at least uh, on paper uh, here in in Southeast Michigan, and, and it's unclear. I guess, when all of that might happen. And there is some opposition uh, uh, by some of the neighborhoods uh, that border I-375 to, to the idea of getting rid of it. But but I, I kind of want to start the, the, the conversation further down the road. Uh, I, I actually have given a lot of thought to the idea of what the freeways here have done uh, to the city and what what I think the solutions might, might look like. I, I might make an argument that not only I-375, but also uh, M10, the, the, the lodge, um, and uh, parts of I-75 itself uh, probably do more damage to the city than, than good. Uh, and that if you kind of reimagined Detroit with no freeways south of I-94 – that it would be a really different place and it would be a much more pleasant place uh, to live in those areas, uh, which include, of course, downtown uh, and midtown, but also lots of other lots of other other neighborhoods. So so let's kind of, I guess, extend the conversation to that point beyond I-375 and I guess ask, why not have that discussion? Why can't we rethink the city in a much bigger way without all of these things that uh, that divide it? Well, it's a very interesting concept, but if I can push it even further out... Um, <laughs> You're going to go I even would, further. <laughs> I would go even further. <laughs> the history of making these interstates come into the city is actually fascinating because the original concept was the interstate highway connecting connecting the states, allowing commerce and um, national security to be um, upheld by the construction of these freeways back in the day, back in the 50s. 
And then the mayors got into the game and said, hold on a minute, if we're going to build all this network across the, um, across America, then we need to make sure that it comes into our backyard. And so we then had that enormous discussion. And at the time, it it was controversial. How do you bring the freeways into the cities? And in some places, they built decks. In some places, they put it straight through neighborhoods. And in other places, not like unlike Detroit, they did very deep engineering. So we ended up with the urban canyons, these divisions that divide um, our community. And we've got that legacy from uh, the 1950s. So that's my first point. Mm-hmm. The second point, however, is one that is, is hard. Because removing a freeway doesn't necessarily remove traffic. Mm. So the fundamental question we have to think about as we begin this is, okay, we don't like the freeways, and I understand why. But you've got traffic moving through it. What happens to that traffic? So it's more than just taking away the deck or the tunnel or the canyon, as I've called it. But what do you do with the traffic? It needs a comprehensive review of how traffic moves through the city. And I think your idea there of perhaps separating the city into into areas that can take the traffic through it, the big roads, but other areas that are changing, that have changed, that the neighbourhoods are different, might be the places that one could do a bit of serious engineering. Mm. My third point, however, is don't hold your breath. We've been at this for a heck of a long time. We have. <laughs> That's right. We I mean, don't I seem really to get anywhere. And, and I, I'll, I'll be honest, when I, when I share that idea that I just shared uh, with you and our listeners with other people, I mean, I, I, I get very, very angry reactions from, from lots of people. I mean, uh, uh, and, and sometimes from people who surprise me in, in their anger about this. Uh, we, we are very wedded to the car, of course, here in Detroit. And that makes us, I think, somewhat wedded to, to, to the freeways, even though I think even among people who know of the damage that they did, this this ease of getting around and and I would you know maybe argue uh, that that it's not as easy as some people think but but the the concept that hey we need to be able to get quickly from one side of town to the other or from inside of town to outside of town uh, it really does it really does uh, restrain our thinking about uh, about how to do it differently. Um, Robin, I, I also want to want to talk uh, about Detroit in particular, and how it's different from other cities. Uh, when I look at a map of Detroit uh, and think of the highways that divide it up, there, there are far more in Detroit than there are in most other major cities. I, I mean, if a generous count is that we have five major freeways carving the city up, the center. Uh, of the city. Can you talk about how that history separates us from, from other uh, communities and how it makes it different, the conversation that, uh, that we might have about change? Yes, I, I think you're making a great point. It, it, it is also about what the city is and where it's located. So we are at a really important junction um, that affects the amount of freight and, and also passenger traffic that moves uh, through the city. We've got that north-south divide that connects us to two major bridges into Canada. I mean, we are, we are at an international border. Now, I know for a, for the past 17, 18 months, it doesn't feel like it because of COVID, but 
when things open up as they are, we, we will be reminded again as to where Detroit sits. That's the first point. The second point is the scale of the city. We have a very large, very large city that um, needs to have these corridors of transportation for, for, for these flows of traffic mm-hmm. to go through it. And that has had a huge impact. I know people like to talk about I-375, and sure, it's really important, and one could, we could spend the whole program talking about this, this idea of, of, of trying to do something in that area, and, and maybe it will happen. But when you go and drive through I-96, for example, all through the west side of the, of the city, I mean, it's a massive ribbon of concrete that mm-hmm. takes us through all the way from downtown right out to the west side. Um, and, and how we deal with that over the time where we're trying to pull together, knit together different communities is really, really difficult. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Nadia Popovich, who's a data and graphics reporter on the Times Climate Desk, the New York Times Climate Desk. I'm also talking with Robin Boyle, who's a professor of urban planning at Wayne State University. And we're talking about highways, America's highways, uh, which many of which are reaching the end of their initial life and need either a rebuild or a rethink, what if we rethought them away? What if we rethought them, uh, rethought our cities without some of the highways that, uh, that cut through them? Uh, we're talking about that here in Detroit, where I-375 is among many highways nationwide that are uh, subject to a rethink and, and might go away. Uh, but we're also talking about it in a broader sense. Uh, what would Detroit feel like? What would Detroit look like without the five freeways that we have that uh, that carve it up? What would other cities look and feel like? How would you manage traffic? Uh, but also, what would communities be like to live in? Uh, we'd love to hear from you uh, during this conversation as well. Give us a call and let us know if you think we ought to rethink the freeways here in in Metro Detroit. Uh, are we are we over highwayed? Uh, I guess is uh, maybe a phrase we might use. Uh, think about the massive rebuild of I seventy five that's been going on uh, to to widen it in some cases uh, to to renew the pavement, of course, so that it's uh, better to drive on and so that it will last into the future. Should we instead be thinking of ways to get rid of I-75 through certain uh, stretches or uh, to redirect traffic to other places? Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Also would love to hear from people who think, look, leave the freeways alone. Uh, we have... The system of transportation that we have here in southeast Michigan, it works uh, without some of the congestion that you see in other communities. That is definitely true. Um, uh, why, why, bother with, uh, why bother with the change? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Harry in Sterling Heights. Harry. Uh, great, uh, great conversation here. My question is, how much influence did the big three pay in the 1950s when cars were, were selling and everybody was going on picnics and going to the beach and moving out of Detroit? And here we rebuilt the people mover. We had, did have streetcars that were, were viable. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people making those decisions were really not involved with the future of Detroit, but uh, just trying to sell cars. Yeah. 
Harry, a great point. Uh, it's it's one of the things that I think uh, people talk about a lot around here is the influence of the auto industry over the development of highways. Uh, Nadia, I'll, I'll give you a first crack at, uh, at talking about some of that history. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so, you know, some of the uh, historians that I've spoke with pointed uh, a lot to this idea that, that you know, the car industry and um, more broadly different companies really, really pushed this idea of a new city, a new city with highways flowing through it and giant high-rise buildings. In 1939, there was actually, uh, in the World's Fair, GM had this big exhibit called the City of the, I think Futurama, that was it. And it was basically these giant high-rise buildings, as I explained, with, with big highways flowing through it. And it was a way of like, that was the idea of the modern age, that the city had to be changed. You know, the idea was cities were dirty and crowded and congested and we want to clear them out and make way for this kind of shiny new future. Um, and of course, that wasn't always the way things worked out, especially for the people living in the cities. And so definitely, definitely, um, there was a role to be played by by uh, large companies in kind of pushing that vision as well. Hmm. Uh, Robin, uh, here in Detroit, people say all the time, the car companies killed the streetcar. The car companies wanted to sell buses. And so that's how we ended up without mass transit, rail mass transit, uh, how, how true is that? Well, I think there's a, it, 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 it always comes up under this conversation, and, and, and it's, it's one of these great stories that if you want to get a conversation going in a bar, just, just, just throw <laughs> that one in there. And there is some truth to it. I think that the most personal connection that we have is that when um, Eisenhower was coming up with this grand plan for the interstate freeway system, he actually tapped um, a General Motors executive um, to actually lead that program, uh, tapped into Detroit and pulled them into Washington to, to be controlling or at least leading um, the, 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 the planning process. So there really was an involvement of the, the major auto companies of that time behind the whole idea of the interstate freeway system. So that is absolutely true. As to General Motors' role in, the, in, in, in transit in, in, in Detroit, it's, a, it's an open book. Surely they were eager to make buses and sell them. They were not keen on the streetcar systems. So, yes, there's, there's, there's clearly been a history of that. Today, however, it's, it's, it's a different story. I mean, the auto industries are doing different things. Just look at what um, Ford is doing over on the, on, on, in the Cork Town area which is quite different than what the way they operated in the past. So I think we are at a change point. We are at an, an intersection, if you want, horrible analogy there, um, with roads <laughs> and the way in which the auto industry is, 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 is working on it. But let's be honest. I mean, they still make their main business from selling cars and cars run on concrete. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. and When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation about the future of cities and the future of highways. We'll also continue to hear from you, Jim in Detroit, Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers, Vince in Oak Park. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This 
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. My guests are Nadia Popovich, data and graphics reporter on the New York Times Climate Desk, and Robin Boyle, professor of urban planning at Wayne State University. We're talking about cities and highways, the relationship between them, the relationship that we have as people with both of them, and whether we might have better cities if we removed some of the highways that carve those cities up. We want to hear from you uh, about your uh, opinions about this. Uh, Do you think we need fewer fewer freeways here in the city of Detroit or in Metro Detroit? Uh, What would the city be like? What would it feel like to live here uh, if we didn't have as much concrete uh, uh, running through the middle of of neighborhoods? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go social media and put comments there and uh, we'll include them in the conversation. Let's go to Vince in Oak Park. Vince, what's on your mind? How you doing, Stephen? I enjoy your show immensely. Thank you. Uh, I keep hearing the five major freeways in Detroit mm-hmm. and can can any can either of your guests name them? Well, I was the one who said five, so I'll <laughs> I'll take a crack at it. Um, uh, so I think you ha- you start with the interstates, right? We have three: I seventy five, I ninety four, and I ninety six. And then you add the Lodge M ten, uh, and then the Davison, which uh, is the oldest, I believe. Uh, uh, underground uh, freeway in the nation. It was the first. Uh, it was the first ditch dug for for cars. So that that in my mind brings us brings us to five. Does that does that square with with what you think, Vince? Uh, yeah. I didn't know if you were talking six ninety six. Well, and six ninety six doesn't come into the city, but it does. Right, it goes, it, but yeah. it goes from east to west, and it does. It cuts across uh, Macomb right. and Oakland, uh, and and divides right. you know those communities up. So, if you were talking Metro Detroit, you would you would you would throw that one you would throw that one in too. Right. Um, but but I but I, you know I brought that up because I can't think of other major cities that have that many. Uh, going through the center of the city, right? Uh, there are lots of cities that have uh, freeways that kind of ring around them, uh, but but the idea of having that many go right through the city uh, is 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 unusual, and I think gives us uh, a dynamic that uh, that looks different uh, from other places. Uh, but Vince, I really appreciate uh, the call and uh, the challenge there. I think I. I think I answered your question. <laughs> uh, let's go to Jim in Detroit. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Um, see, I just had a simple question, probably for Robin. Um, the uh, Gordie Howe International Bridge that's being built, I'm wondering what the uh, you know effect of all the roads or highways that are coming out of that into Detroit. I think it's connecting to 75, um, but it sounds like a, a massive, massive project. Um, and you know, I work in Southwest Detroit, and I've heard, oh, we're gonna, you know, they're gonna do a lot of things for Southwest Detroit. But I'm, I'm really curious as to how that is going to affect the landscape of of Southwest Detroit. Hmm, that's a great question. Go ahead. Significantly, 
I think it's going to have a huge impact, uh, both positively and negatively. Um, we're not going to take anything away, at least as far as I understand it. And, you know, things can change here in Detroit. Um, I think we're still going to have the Ambassador Bridge and the uh, obviously it's privately owned bridge. And uh, it's going to continue to um, have a huge impact uh, nearer to downtown. But then with Gordie Howe, that's the name. Of, of, of this new bridge, which is, as we know, being actually built by Canadians for, for us to move goods and people across, is going to add to the infrastructure. Um, will it remove traffic um, from from the existing system? It might. It might reduce it to some extent. And and, and if we move traffic on to two bridges, then you, you could have a positive impact, but you could have also a negative impact by adding more um, pollution and noise and 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 construction traffic and 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 commercial traffic into the uh, into the southwest. I'm just hope, hoping that when they are finishing the connections to the existing network, that they do it sensitively and and they do respect the neighbours that are there. And we don't use the same bludgeon that uh, was done in the uh, in in the early days in the 1950s. Just a quick comment on 696. That's actually an interesting road to look at. Mm. It was one of the later roads, and it actually does have a deck. It was negotiated by one of the communities on the uh, on the north side in in Oakland County because they were fighting the, the the road, and so they came up with the idea of actually decking um, the freeway at one point, which we now have just close to the zoo. There's a there's a, that sort of park area to mm-hmm. the north, so it can be done if you've got the political clout. And the reason that we have the problems is that there was, wasn't political clout in these days to, to protect the neighbourhoods. And so the idea of building even more expensive roads with decks was lost in the, uh, in, in the early days. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Aaron and Jefferson Chalmers. Aaron, I've got about a minute left, but I wanted to get you on the air. Thanks, Stephen. It pains me to see the freeways in Metro Detroit uh, currently being expanded instead of reduced. This state and this region continues to go backwards in time. Uh, there are a number of reasons that talented young people leave this state and this region, mm. and one of them is a lack of public transit. We mm. should be putting the money towards public transit and not expanding freeways. It makes people dependent on cars. It's not healthy. Yeah. And it kills street life when you have to drive everywhere and everything is a parking right. lot. And Aaron, I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I do want to get uh, Nadia Popovich to, to reply to that. This idea that uh, cities can grow with by keeping young people or attracting them with transit is part and parcel of this conversation. Yeah, actually, I'm really glad you brought you know some of this up because one thing I did want to make sure to note is that while there is this growing movement to remove highways by and large, we're still, you know, expanding highways across America. Mm. And I think this feeds hugely into questions of both, you know, how do we make cities more livable places for the people already there, but also, you know, for as, you know, the climate keeps changing, the world gets warmer, how do we change our cities in ways that really um, allow for more climate-friendly living, so less car dependence, uh, and that all fits into this bigger question about what do we do with our highways. Yes. Yes. Okay. Nadia Popovich of the New York Times, Robin Boyle of Wayne State University. It was great to have both of you here for this conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Stephen. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow for a look at General Motors and the end of American enterprise through the eyes of Kenneth White. 
an author with a new book called The Sack of Detroit. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.